did and turn with me, first of all, to Psalm 19. Now, after we read Psalm 19, we'll also be turning to page 101 to read the third commandment. But right now, Psalm 19, it's on your large print sheets if you're using a pew Bible. You'll find this on pages 742 and 743. Pages 742 and 743. Psalm 19, I'm going to be reading it uh, in the King James Version, Psalm 19. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heavens, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins, Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And then turn with me to page 101 in your pew Bible or also on your it's on your large print sheets also to the final scripture passage for today Exodus 20 verse 7 Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Well, beloved 
congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today we look for the second time at the third commandment, the third commandment. And as we saw last week, as we're looking at what it requires, we saw that the third commandment requires a reverent use, a reverent, a holy use, we might say, a respectful use of everything by which God reveals himself. The third commandment requires a reverent use of all by which he reveals himself. We've noted in the past, as we've done this study on the law of God, that the law of God has at least three uses, using the initials like that old pesticide DDT. It demonstrates that we're sinners. We read the law, we say, oh God. I have broken thy law. I am a sinner. It demonstrates that we're sinners. We cannot possibly measure up to the high standard of God. Secondly, it drives us either further into our sin. It it hardens us in our sin. So you hear the word of God. You hear the law of God. You either are hardened in your sin or by the grace of God you are softened in your heart so that you come to faith in Christ. It drives you either further into your sin or to Christ. And then thirdly, it teaches us how to live. It teaches us what it means to be a Christian. Now as we've already noted, the first commandment gives us the who of worship. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He is the object of our worship. As we had in Sunday school today, we heard about uh, consideration of who God is. He's the one true and living God. Jehovah, Yahweh, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is that God, not a false God, who has to be carried around by us. By the way, if you want to uh, go on YouTube, Just look at religious statues falling over. It is really amusing, actually, to see all these religious statues falling over, being carried into the Catholic Church, for example, or in procession. What does it tell you? Their idols are nothing. They're nothing. They're worse than nothing. And so it is the true God, the totally spiritual being, the one who does not have a body like men, the one who is transcendent above us, that is the one whom we are to worship. Secondly, in terms of the second commandment, the what, the means of our worship, as we had in the catechism today, we are not to worship God by means of an image or in any other way that has not been ordained or prescribed. The what of our worship which is why we are so careful in this church to make sure that we worship only according to God's command. And then thirdly, the how, or the manner and attitude of our worship, it is to be done with reverence. We are not, notice it's it's couched negatively, we are not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. But positively, then, it means that we are to treat his name with respect. 
And so last week then, we considered the reverent use of God's revealed character. And we talked about the various names of God. Elohim, God, himself. We're not, we're not to use the, even the name God in a flippant way. We're to use it respectfully. Yahweh or Jehovah, the great I am that I am. And all the other names, even the fear of Jacob. What an interesting title for God. So the names, the titles of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, God Almighty, and so forth. And all of the attributes of God. Again, something we were considering earlier this afternoon. In other words, the characteristics of God. Who is God? I'm not going to have you recite it, but we all know God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So all those things in terms of his revealed character, including his names, his titles, and his attributes, we are to treat reverently by means of how we think about God and by means of our speech and our actions for that matter. But now, secondly, we want to go on and today give three more ways, three more things in terms of the reverent use. The reverent use of God's word, the reverent use of God's works, and the reverent use of God's ordinances. So first of all, then, this today, first major point, the reverent use of God's word. This, of course... When we talk about the word of God, what do we mean? Well, we're referring to the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. It is inerrant. Now, some of y'all know a little bit about baseball. And so, you know that you have in the box score, you have, you have the runs, the hits, and the errors, right? R-H-E, the runs, the hits, the errors. Of course, the runs, that's what really counts, right? But nevertheless, the runs, the hits, the errors. So you can go through a whole game, and it will, under E, it will say zero. Okay? So during that game, when the ball was, was hit to the hot box, to the third baseman, he didn't muff it right? Or to the shortstop or whatever. And so you could say that the fielders for that game were without error. They were inerrant. They didn't make any mistakes. Okay? Well, the Bible makes no mistakes, but more than that, it's not just inerrant, but it is infallible. In other words, unlike a baseball team that can commit all kinds of errors, We won't make any reference to the Braves or anyone else. Unlike a baseball team, God never makes a mistake. And his word, therefore, is not only inerrant, but infallible. There's no possibility of a mistake. So it's inerrant. It is infallible. It has been written by the Holy Spirit using men to be sure, holy men of God spoke as they were moved, as they were borne along by the Holy Spirit. 
And of course, this is what we find in our passage today in terms of uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. And um, where Paul says that uh, you knew that as we came, as we brought the word of God, you knew, verse 13, you, when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. And so we see then in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament that this is the very word of God. You know what's also interesting is that God, if you, you read in Psalm 138.2, it's a curious, it's an almost strange verse. Uh, 138 verse 2 the end of it for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name isn't that interesting thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name which shows the importance of the word of God it shows how much God regards his own word So what does it mean to treat the word of God with reverence? Well, we are to pay attention to it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Diligence, carefulness. You ever been been to a, a restaurant and the waitress wasn't paying any attention to you? Or the waiter, you ever had that experience? Well, unlike that, unlike when the waitress doesn't pay attention, a good waitress does pay attention. A good waitress waiting on a table will be looking as she's getting the other orders, she'll always be looking back to your table and see, oh, do you have a need, perhaps? Do I need to come back and fill your water glass again? Do I, may I, should I ask, should I check and see that the order was proper and so forth? It's like a waitress properly waiting on people at a table, paying attention to it, being aware of what's going on. Or it's like someone stretching his neck, straining to hear what the speaker is saying, because I want to hear. I think it's important. I want to hear. So I'm going to tune out any, any distraction. I, I want to hear. I'm listening to the radio. There's noise around me, but there's news coming in, and I need to hear what that news is. And thus, the reading of the Word, the reading of the Word of God, is to be done without any internal or external distraction. Now that's true in our private lives. It's true in our church life as well. And so when the word of God is read, we must make sure that we're not checking the internet with diligence, with care, Secondly, with preparation. We, of course, must have the new birth in order correctly to hear God speaking. This is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, 
In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 13, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual, Paul goes on to say, but the natural man, the one who's not converted, the one who is not in a right relationship with God, the one who's still dead in his trespasses and sins, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So maybe you read the word and you don't get it. Or you hear a sermon based on the word and you don't get it. Well, you need to look and see if you've been born again or not. You need, in order properly, correctly to hear the word, to hear God speaking, your heart must be prepared. And furthermore, in terms of preparation, even if we have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we must continually study the word in order to understand how it all fits together. So you're not haphazard in studying. Just like a textbook, just like studying anything, you start to understand how it all, this body of information, how it all fits together. But not only with diligence and with preparation, but my friends, also with prayer. John Calvin regularly prayed before his Bible lectures, quote, May the Lord grant that we may contemplate, we may think about the mysteries of his heavenly wisdom with truly increasing devotion to his glory and our edification. Amen. The Holy Spirit must be at work in us in interpreting the word to us and illuminating us. So, diligence, preparation, prayer. But secondly, receive it with faith and love. Now that we have been reconciled to God through his gospel, we can hear him speaking his sweet promises. And let me suggest, and I I say this to all of us, that one reason why many people don't regularly read the Bible is because they sense God's awesome justice and righteousness, but have never experienced his grace. And all of us, when, when the gospel grows dim, when we, we start to lose interest, when we're, we are not excited about reading his word, then that says something at least about the spiritual temperature in our lives. But the Bible is the story of redemption, of salvation. The Bible is God's great love letter. And thus we should receive it with love and in faith. That's how we treat it reverently. With diligence, preparation, and prayer, with faith and love, Furthermore, we lay it up in our hearts. We have memorized as a congregation, Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. 
And that idea of laying the Bible up in our hearts, the Word of God, points to Bible memorization. Furthermore, we should so treasure the Word of God that it becomes a part of us. But not only should we attend it with diligence, preparation, and prayer, receive it with faith and love, and lay it up in our hearts, treasure it, but we should practice it in our lives. Without this application, the Bible is merely an interesting textbook, something that you master in order to go on to jeopardy, perhaps, and deal with trivia. Well, my friends, that's not the point, is it? We honor God and his word by having the perfect law of God worked out in our daily lives. And we don't always like that. I understand. The word is a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. Sometimes that word, which is a light, is a searchlight. And we don't like what, it's, what it shows in our hearts. I get it. And yet, this is what we are called to, to practice it in our lives, thereby showing a reverent use of it. So, reverent use of God's revealed character, reverent use of God's word. Thirdly, the reverent use of God's works. And so when we talk about God's works, what are we talking about? Well, two basic works. It's very easy. Creation and providence. Creation and providence. We read and also sang from Psalm 19 today. And uh, it's kind of interesting, by the way, isn't it? That Psalm 19 talks about the law of God, as we'll be singing that portion, uh, Lord willing, at the end of the service. But you know, before we get there, it talks about the world of God, we can say. Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. When we were living in Wisconsin, out in the country, we lived in, a, in an old Victorian farmhouse on a hobby farm. I remember walking out in, in the night, one evening. Uh, I walked down the road and was coming back. As I turned back, I suddenly saw the great dome of heaven and the stars sprinkling the night sky. And it was like, wow. I was just overwhelmed by it. In Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about the creation and that we can see God's power and his handiwork by means of what he has made. And so God reveals something to us by means of his creation. He's showing us things. He's showing us who he is. He's revealing his glory in his works, including his work of creation, but also his work of providence. Psalm 9, verse 16. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. By the way, the psalm goes on, the verse goes on. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Isn't that interesting? That's all part of God's executing his justice. 
The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. And so we see God's sovereignty. We see God's wisdom. We see God's majesty. We see God's glory in the working out of his purposes in history. He's revealing something about himself, not just by the night sky, but also by the way in which he works among the children of men, raising up nations and destroying nations, raising up kings and putting them down. Humbling those who are proud and mighty and exalting those who are poor and downcast. This is what God is doing. And so how do we reverently use his works of creation and providence? Well, in terms of creation, we reverently contemplate God's infinite power and wisdom and greatness. We also utilize God's creation while at the same time respecting it. What do I mean by that? Remember in the garden that God gave the creation or the cultural mandate, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Take the raw things of this world, the metals, the elements, the plants and so forth, take these things and make other things. Show, oh man, show the creativity that you have because you reflect, God is saying, because you reflect my creativity. And so we utilize God's creation. We respect it. We'll talk, Lord willing, in a few weeks about uh, the environmental movement how it is largely mistaken, but where there is a measure of truth to it. So we respect it, we respect creation, but at the same time, we utilize it. We do use it in terms of making other things for our comfort and for the glory of God. But also in terms of providence. For we, I... E-Y-E, we I, we, in other words, we see, we follow, and we comply with God's designs in all of his providential dealings in a holy and reverent way. We bless and praise him for his mercies. We heard one of the prayer requests today about jobs. Praise for that. We bless and praise him for his mercies. But we also submit unto and patiently bear his corrections in any sort of afflictions. Because God is using even those difficult experiences in our life. And I know, I know how many here on a wide variety, wide scale, are going through difficulties. That's true of folks that live here in the city. It's true of folks that live in the suburbs. 
Every one of us has difficulties and challenges and heartaches from time to time. And they're tough. But if we are reverently to use God's providential dealings, we submit unto and patiently hear his corrections and any sort of afflictions. I was speaking with a minister this past week. I won't say the the church, but uh, he was talking about how there is a like a 12-year-old boy in their congregation that has autism and is really starting to get very much out of hand. That's disruptive to the church. You can imagine what the parents are going through. Nice suburban middle-class family. And so whatever they whatever God puts into your life don't grumble and complain, but rather submit and patiently listen to what he is communicating to you through that correction. So not only the reverent use of God's, um, God's revealed character and of God's word and of God's works, but fourthly, the reverent use of God's ordinances, the reverent use of of God's ordinances, that which he has ordained, that which he has established. In Psalm 77, verse 13, we read, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary, the temple. Who is so great a God as our God? God has established his church. God has established the sacraments. God communicates in them in baptism and the Lord's Supper. God has established his preached word. And so we especially are to listen to the word of God, not only as it is read, but also as it is preached. God's ordinances. What does it mean for a reverent use of them? Well, we ought to use them and attend to them. Which, by the way, means we're supposed to show up for church, among other things, right? You can't do that unless you're in the Lord's house. And we should then wait upon and seek after God in them. Lord, what art thou teaching me on this occasion? What do I need to hear right now in this sermon? Lord, what do I need to repent of? Lord, how can I love thee more? as a result of this sacrament or sermon. Lord, how can I love my neighbor better than what I am? And so the reverent use of God's ordinances. Now two points of application. The first is this. Understand that you can keep this commandment in only one way, That is by looking outside of yourself. In order to keep this commandment, you need to look outside of yourself. You must call, you see, on the name of the Lord. You must call on the name of the Lord. You must turn to God by faith alone. 
in the book of Micah, chapter 4, and verse 5, we read, For all people walk, each in the name of his God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In Malachi chapter 3, the very end of the, of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, For I, excuse me, chapter 3 verse 16, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them, So a book of remembrance was written before them for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. And chapter 4, verse 2, But to you who fear my name, the Son, S-U-N, the Son of Righteousness, shall arise with healing in his wings. We see this, by the way, not only in the Old Testament, of course, but also in the New. And I'll ask you to look just for a moment at Acts chapter 3, so you can see how this all ties together. Acts chapter 3. By the way, the context, and going forward, the context is Acts 4 verse 12, where the apostle says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name. Remember, this is not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But then you look back to chapter 3, and you see in verse 6, And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Verse 16. And Peter saying, and his name, Jesus' name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And in verses 22 and 23, for Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things whatever he says to you. The word of God. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among people. You see, we are to call on the name of the Lord. Indeed, we are to call on the name of Jesus Christ. And why? Well, my friends, you must look to Jesus, who is the Word of God incarnate, the Word of God come in the flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, the Word of God who kept the Word perfectly. He kept all of his oaths, and vows. He treated creation with respect. He submitted to God's providence. And he perfectly listened to the Father speak in the ordinances, the sacrifices, 
even though those sacrifices were revealing his own death on the cross. And so understand, my friends, that you can keep this commandment ultimately only by looking outside of yourself. And therefore, finally, look to and trust in Jesus for your salvation. For there is, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. Will you please stand for prayer? And our Father, we give thanks for thy name, thy character, thine attributes. We give thanks for thy word and pray that we might attend to it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Receive it with faith and love. We thank thee, our Father, for thy works how thou hast revealed thy glory in them. We pray that we might acquiesce in thy providences and rejoice in thy creation. We thank thee, Lord, for thine ordinances. And we pray that just like thy written word, so we might use the ordinances in order to glorify thee and in order to be edified in our faith. And Lord, we especially pray that we might be given the grace to do all of these things through Jesus Christ our Lord, acknowledging that our acceptance before Thee is not by our trying our best, for that surely falls horribly short, but only because we have a perfect Savior, only because we have one who has fulfilled all righteousness for us and one who has taken the penalty for our terrible rebellion against thee, including, O God, our disrespect, our treating with contempt, thy word and thy name. And so, Lord, have mercy upon us. Drive us to Jesus through thy word and teach us more and more what it means to treat thy name with reverence. We'll thank thee for it. In Jesus' name, amen.